environmental conversations on creative art, scholarship, and teaching. This, This is EcoCast. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of EcoCast. I'm Gemma Deer, and I am Brandon Golm. EcoCast is the official podcast of ASLI, the Association for the Study of Literature and the Environment. This is going to be a podcast dedicated to conversations on all aspects of the environmental humanities and arts. We're going to talk about eco-criticism and environmental humanities scholarship, environmental justice issues, sustainability, and education. Yeah, awesome. Well, this is exciting. This is this has been. Uh something um you know that's been in the works for almost a year now so it, it kind of started and developed a little bit right out of the last uh asley conference in at uc davis um and so i'm ex it's it's weird but it's also exciting it, it felt like it was always going to be coming and happening and coming and happening and now that it's here it's it's a little bit surreal and exciting and i'm i'm very very excited to be um you know going along on this journey with you Gemma. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, we haven't really actually talked about that kind of uh, gestation period. Do you, did you want to say something about how uh, it started? Yeah, yeah I, 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 I guess I can. Sure. Um, I, I realized that too as I was saying that. Like, oh yeah, I never really, I never really covered this. But um, yeah, so um, really, the, the the idea for this formed out of um, well, one, I'm a huge podcast fan. I love. I, I think they're they're great resources. Uh, just for for there's so many out there and there's it, it's um there's so many different things out there and uh it's just to be able to learn such a, a a great variety of of different things is is wonderful to me and so at the last asley i put together a panel that i was going to record as a podcast i thought that was a, a kind of a unique way for people in the podcast or people in the, in the panel to have their ideas reach a slightly wider audience uh, for people that, that maybe couldn't afford to go to Asley or weren't at, at a position um, in their, in their career or, or just couldn't make it out to California that year, whatever the case may be. Um, and so it, it got a really, really great reception. The panelists all really seemed to enjoy it. The people that attended the panel all really seem to enjoy it. And so then I, I talked with Asley afterwards about, you know, oh, hey, what if, you know, did you want to post this to anybody and, and that kind of stuff? And then I started doing a little bit of digging and realized they didn't have an official podcast. And, and certainly there are other podcasts out there that are maybe having similar conversations uh, that we'll be having and certainly tangentially kind of, you know, fall within our, our purview. But, you know, Asley itself didn't have one. And uh, I was, you know, kind of fresh off of, of defending my dissertation and looking for things to do and, and ways to kind of get involved and thought, hey, I'll reach out to them and see if they're interested. And, and they said yes. And, uh, the, you know, the rest is history. It's, it's been kind of it's been a slow climb. You know, we'll, we'll certainly maybe be talking about some of these things. Uh, a little bit later in the episode, but, but, uh, you know, COVID certainly impacted, um, you know, I was hoping to, to move this process along a little bit quicker, but that certainly had some impacts and, um, a new job and, and, uh, you know, moving halfway across the country, you know, all these kinds of things certainly, um, delayed it a little bit further than, than, uh, I was hoping to, but here we are and, and I'm excited and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, um, 
I'm anxious. It's it's like good anxious, but but you know I I I love all these people that were were you know we've re- received a ton of great proposals so far, and we're starting to reach out to people and schedule those, and um, yeah, just excitement all around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited as well. Um, so should we talk a little bit about uh, what Asley is and does, and kind of what their mission is and how it relates to the podcast? Yeah, so for those of you out there that are maybe a little bit unfamiliar, maybe you just happened to, to happen across our podcast uh, just on your own and, and didn't find it through Asley. But so as, as Gemma said in her introduction, Asley, uh, as you know, it's kind of affectionately known by those of us who are members, uh, is the Association for the Study of Literature and the Environment. It's an international scholarly organization devoted to the scholarship, creative work, and teaching of and within the environmental humanities. Uh, so to quote from, uh, a message that Asley's leadership has posted on, on the website, Asley is where slow thinking, which refers to scholarly and artistic, uh, research and writing meets, meets swift action, uh, that we cannot truly be environmental humanists unless we are willing to become environmental activists. Uh, the, the association holds biennial conferences every other year. Uh, it has its own academic journal, ISLE. And it offers a, a huge, vast array of resources on its website for teachers, scholars, and creators to learn, grow, and collaborate with each other. This is this podcast is is just one uh, additional way that Asley uh, hopes to allow its members to share and connect with each other. Um, so, Gemma, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, more about what we're we're hoping to accomplish with this podcast? Yeah, so it is very much aligned with Asley's vision. Um, We'll be having conversations with people who are working both academically and creatively within the environmental humanities. Um, And we want it to be a diverse and inclusive space. And this is kind of uh, overtly stated in in Asley's mission as well, that they they really are concerned with um, social justice and inclusivity. And that's not only in terms of race and gender and sexuality and class, but also in terms of career stage and interest. So, you know, we're going to have some really distinguished people on, but we also, you know, will be taking um, uh, episodes with PhD students. We want this to, you know, kind of really be a space for everyone to come together um, and, and yeah, to bring the ASLI community together, even when we're apart. So obviously the conferences are amazing, but, um, and nothing is going to replace that face to face interaction, but this gives a way for us to connect on a much more regular basis and also to include people who can't, for whatever reason, actually attend the conferences. Um, And so we really also want to invite you into the conversation. Obviously, we're going to be interviewing all these amazing people, but we want you to get involved as well. Um, So we have set up a Twitter account, which we'll say all these details again at the end, but it's um, the handle is Asley underscore Ecocast. Um, And so sometimes when we have arranged to interview a guest, we'll let you know on Twitter who it is. And if you want to... send us questions that you want to ask that person or ideas for episodes that we really want to hear from you and kind of make this a conversation between all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the biggest piece for me, uh, especially as, as uh, you know, an early career scholar, 
someone who's still in that that kind of imposter syndrome <laughs> moment of of my career uh you know feeling like you know am i am i smart enough am i as you know constantly comparing myself to everybody else and knowing that this can be a space where um everyone has that opportunity that even if you're if you're just work we don't even um if you have an idea and you're you're still formulating it and you want to come on the the podcast just to talk through it with some other people um i think that would be a great use of an episode so don't feel like it has to be um something that you've published on or something that you're um you know, you've already been working on for, for a while that if you've got, you know, these these kind of gestating ideas, I think this is a great place for those as well to kind of get some feedback and, and get some get some ways to move forward through that. Um, yeah. And so it, it is just really emphasizing that space of, of sharing and collaboration um, within this this community that we have. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you you just mentioned you're an early career scholar. I would consider myself to be the same. So maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, who we are, where we are in our careers, um, which I actually, we haven't talked about this at all. So this is going to be kind of news to me yeah. as well. So yeah, tell me your history of kind of getting into the environmental humanities world. My journey with it. So I actually, I'm going to go back a little bit further because I was thinking about this, this the other day and how I wanted to kind of approach answering this question or, or, or talking about this. So I have, I've kind of a very unique, um, I had this, this just flash of a memory from a couple weeks ago that, that, um, happened, um, years and years ago, actually close to decades ago at this point. Um, but so I had, I, I, did, uh, I got my bachelor's in English uh, from Muskingum College. It's now known as Muskingum University. Um, but I, I kind of – this was in 2002 I graduated. So we're talking just post 9-11, uh, mm-hmm. very, very much parallels here in terms of the impacts on the economy and the job market for a lot of people graduating. So I kind of floundered a little bit for – that summer and found a job at a Barnes and Noble, uh, ended up working there for about seven years. Um, but during that time, I, I, there was a couple of books that I read and I had this, I was, I, I, and I'm going to admit this, and this is, this is a huge thing maybe to admit on <laughs> this particular podcast. Um, but I was a climate change skeptic in the early 2000s wow. um, it was, okay. yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and yeah, so this is, this is a big statement coming out right now. Um, but I, um, it wasn't so much that I, I was a denier. I I don't want to go so far, but there were things where I was like, well, what about this? And what, you know, I had questions and things like that, but as kind of an early twenties male, I was, you know, I was like, eh, I don't need to know that stuff. I'm too good for that. You know, I didn't want to do the research. I didn't want to find it out. Um, and then slowly, obviously over time, I've, clearly you know done the research and have have found that moment um and so i was my i i eventually decided to go back to uh grad school obviously and uh i did my master's and phd coursework at uh iup indiana university of pennsylvania um one of the more confusing um 
schools out there in terms of of the name so it's actually in pennsylvania uh the town that it is in in pennsylvania is indiana pennsylvania a lot of people are always think i went to school in the state of indiana but it was actually the state of pennsylvania in the city of indiana during that time i um i took a class on eco-criticism and environmental literature this would have been I believe my second semester. Uh, so also, yeah. So during my first semester, I went vegan. Um, I've been vegan now for about 10 and a half years. Um, and, cool. uh, yeah. And then it was that, that following semester, my spring semester, my first year in the master's program, I took a, that environmental literature class with, uh, Dr. Susan comfort an amazing person. Some of you out there listening might actually know her. Um, she's, she's, uh, you know, probably foundational for, for me and, you know, being where I am today. Uh, and there are certainly others, obviously that I'll, I'll, I'll maybe mention as, as we go along, but, um, in terms of, of really getting me into eco-criticism, the environmental humanities, um, that is solely on, uh, Susan Comfort. So hi, Dr. Comfort. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so b- built out of that, I just, I, I kind of f- fell in love with, Um, I think for me, what really drew me to it was, um, the recognition that it's hard to talk about anything without also talking about space or, um, ecosystems or right. That, that kind of, of, of the stuff that we, we talk about, um, that it, it's hugely intersectional. Um, uh, and so because of that, I found, I love just that, um, malleability of it, that I could do so many different things with it. Um, that, I, you know, and so for me, my research interests have certainly evolved from there. Um, I, my dissertation was on post Katrina literature, um, and, and looking at, at kind of the, the impact of memory and witnessing um, and, and kind of the cyclical nature of those things um, in terms of, of, you know, specifically the Gulf Coast of, of the United States and New Orleans and um, the people who live there and, and just the ways that they've been treated over time and how, you know, Katrina was this kind of, of big moment. And, um, and this, we might, we might certainly talk about this in a little bit when we, when we have our, our discussion of, of like, you know, this moment that we're in right now. Um, and so I don't, I, I don't want to say maybe too much, um, but uh, yeah, but then it's, it's kind of evolved. And so I, I still am very, very interested in, in those, um, stories of, of the people who survived and, and the ways that they told their stories and the ways that they found ways to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. So were you looking at like um, post-Katrina novels or was it like more memoirs? Or So I, yeah, I looked at, in, in my dissertation specifically, I looked at uh, one novel, uh, Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. And I looked at one film, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and then I looked at one uh, TV series, Treme. Uh, and so I had a chapter on each of those um, looking at both. So the, they were broken into kind of um, the, the general structure of each of those chapters was the fir- the beginning part of it was more of a traditional um, eco-critical analysis of that particular text. Um, and then in the middle section, I was looking at um, 
the ways that memory and witnessing have um, incorporated themselves into these stories that how are they taking the experiences of real survivors and um, you know, and so in Jasmine Ward's case, right, her family um, and herself were um, survivors of Katrina. And so she's a, a lot using her hers and her family's experiences to to inform her stuff um, versus something like Beasts of the Southern Wild or Treme. You're getting kind of an outsider perspective, but they're they're also using actual narratives and testimonies from um, from survivors. And so that middle section was looking at the ways that those are being incorporated in. And then the last section was um, looking at the ways that um, the temporality of all of that um, kind of evolves and coincides on each other. And so I developed this concept that I called uh, the pan-temporal convergent event. Um, and so it basically is, is arguing for the ways that a storm like Katrina um, exists in multiple temporalities all at once. And so how is, um, and both so environmental, we have these kind of long-term ecological changes, right? That we don't really notice because our bodies aren't attuned to them. We, we mm -hmm. experience life on, you know, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. Um, but this stuff's happening over decades. Um, and so there's this, this long-term and short-term things that, that we we can't really experience, but they're converging in that moment because we're mm -hmm. the strength of that storm is because of these long-term changes, but that storm is happening in that moment. Um, and the same can be said for, um, you know, kind of social justice things, right? That there's, these changes aren't happening on a scale that we recognize. They're, they're happening over time very, very slowly. Uh, mm -hmm. But in this moment, right, again, this, these things are converging. And so we're seeing, um, it's, it's kind of the opposite. We're seeing how, how far we haven't come, right? That, how could this happen in the United States? Um, and that was revealed to us when all of these, these four different temporalities, the short-term, long-term, the ecological, and the, the social, um, are kind of converging in that moment. And so I look at the ways that – one of the things that I argue is that, that post-Katrina texts um, are inherently concerned with um, playing with the temporality of the experience. And so um, something like Jesmyn Ward Salvage the Bones, um, each chapter takes place – in, in a single day. And so there's, mm -hmm. I think like 10 or 11 chapters. And so the, the novel takes place over 10 or 11 days. So she's very, very concerned about these moments. Um, it's written in a certain tense where it's like continually happening, right? I am walking, I am, you know, and so that, that tense that she's using, no matter when you're reading it, that story is always currently happening. And so it's playing with this idea of, of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so um, again to kind of jump back a, just a little bit, and then I will shut up and let and let Gemma talk for a bit because I've been droning on and on and on. Um, is uh, you know, and, and it ties back into you know what I love about um, eco criticism and the environmental humanities and just the 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 ways that it lets you kind of find so many things um, because I, I've, I've shifted now where I also, I'm very, very interested in um, the ways that we teach these things, the ways that that pedagogy um, is informed by, you know, how can we be, how can we have an activism, an activist classroom? How can we um, get our students to care and engage with these things um, at an age where maybe some of them are really, really passionate and some of them don't really care much at all. Right. I mean, jumping back to, when I was a young male, 
I was someone who was not very involved and, 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 um, and I, I regret that in some ways. And so that's why I'm looking for these, these opportunities to kind of instill that passion in my students. Um, and I've also um, developed a, a love of, of games pedagogy. And so looking at the ways that, um, you know, uh, video games are, are kind of representing the environment or um, the ways that they ask us to use the environment for our own purposes uh, in order to maybe survive or, or, you know, meet the objectives of the games is, is really, really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, so that's a maybe longer than necessary <laughs> overview of, 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 you know, kind of my journey, but let's, let's hear yours. I'm, I'm saying I have not heard much for yours, so I'm, I'm excited. Um, well, anyway, I'm sure that people were fascinated to hear about your research, and I'm going to ask you another question about it before I move <laughs> on to mine, so sorry. Okay. But um, uh, when you were talking about all those kind of temporality things, I, I was wondering whether you, um, in your work, used Rob Nixon's concept of slow violence, because that, yeah, yep. that really seemed to resonate, like this idea that kind of it means that causality and blame kind of gets washed away in the extended temporality, which is, you know, such a huge thing with climate change where, you know, the causes of Katrina are so dispersed both both right. spatially and temporally that it's very hard to kind of ascribe any accountability. Um, and, yeah, so it sounds like that's, like, really important work just for understanding the the broader context that we're in now. Um, and the challenges that we're having um and where where the other thing i wanted to ask is where are you teaching now so you're doing this kind of oh yeah uh, yes so um i took a position of uh, it's cloud county community college it is in concordia kansas uh north central um I've been out here. Well, so I, I moved out here at the very beginning of this year, like pretty much January 1st, we were in the car driving out here um, and was out here for a couple of months before um, the, when COVID occurred, uh, my wife was still teaching back in Pennsylvania because uh, she was on contract through that spring. And so we had, had made the decision to kind of uh, teach separately uh, or you know, live apart for those couple of months. But then when COVID happened and everything shifted online, I got permission from my school to finish the semester out at um, back in teaching from Pennsylvania. Um, so I taught from there. And then um, at the end of the semester, end of May, we moved her back out here. And so now we're, we're both back out here in, in, at cloud County community college. Um, it's actually, it's a wonderful school. I've obviously only been here for one semester, but I am, I'm loving it. Uh, we have a renewable energies program where students are, uh, learning in how to install, uh, and repair, um, wind, uh, wind towers and solar panels and, um, all of that great stuff. So, um, they're actually, we have a, a wind farm, and solar farm here on campus that um, provides some of the energy for our our school. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. That's awesome. Okay, so um, my story, uh, I've been kind of environmentally minded for pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, I remember being um, quite a small child and my aunt for the first time describing the political parties to me in the UK um, as 
people can probably hear I'm from England um, <laughs> and you know she kind of said the 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 mainstream parties and and the more minor parties and then and what they kind of stood for and then she was like who would you vote for and I said the Green Party um, and I very clearly remember her response which was nobody votes for the Green Party um, so, you know, kind of, and me just thinking, well, that's so stupid. Why do they not? Like, obviously, <laughs> that's the best one with that sort of, you know, childish clarity where what's important just uh, is just what you want to go for and nothing else matters. But anyway, fast forward um, 20 years or so, and I was, I did my PhD at the University of Sussex um, in the south of England. Um, and I kind of, I started my PhD with, um, it was going to be a four author study on British modernists um, with the, around the idea of animism. Um, and I actually like very quickly became disillusioned with <laughs> the project and academia and you know, just kind of not really knowing whether that was what I wanted to do. And so I took a year out in my first year, kind of with the intention of not going back. Um, part of the issue for me was because I had this real strong will to do something that was environmentally engaged. It just felt like writing about novels was not helping. <laughs> um and then my supervisor, um, Professor Nicholas Royal at the University of Sussex, did a very good job at persuading me to come back. I mean, I was really sold on just, I'm done with, with academia. Um, but he, and I'm thankful for it, he persuaded me to come back. But, and then when I came back, I knew that if I was going to see this thing through, it had to be about the environment. So, I completely changed my um, topic. I mean, I, I stuck with the idea of animism, but it then became about animism and climate change. And what can this notion of um, agencies beyond the human tell us about climate change mm. and how, how can that change how we understand it? Um, so I was still looking at literature, like I had a literature background. I did literature for my, for my undergrad and my master's. Um, but it was all very much kind of reading texts to think about climate change and not texts that were overtly about climate change, um, but rather kind of rereading a range of texts in the context of climate change. So, for example, I looked at Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis. I look at, looked at a couple of wolf novels. I looked at Alice in Wonderland. So it was kind of this really crazy but fun mixed bag um, and me just kind of thinking about how these texts like transform themselves um, in the new context of climate change. Um, so yeah, then my PhD became something that I was much more excited about and uh, interested in. Um, and uh, so that I finished in 2017. Um, I was kind of just teaching at Sussex for a while, um, as well as teaching yoga. I'm also a yoga teacher, which I think keeps me sane. Um, 
And then uh, since um, October 2018, I have been based at the Harvard University Center for the Environment um, as a postdoctoral research fellow um, and have been, I was working on turning my PhD into a book, which that is out in uh, September. Very exciting to have nice. the first book out. Yeah. Um, so that's called, thank you. Um, that's called Radical Animism Reading for the End of the World. Um, and then since then, I've been working on a second project on extinction. So thinking about the biodiversity crisis, the sixth mass extinction, um, but again, using readings of literature to kind of think about what it means to be human in an age of extinction. Yeah, so that's me. And also vegan. In, I kind of midway through my PhD, I was just like, I can't <laughs> spend all my days thinking about climate change and continuing to consume dairy. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's, it's important, I feel, for like our action. It's, I mean, it's kind of in the Asli mission, right, that our actions match up with what we're thinking about. Um, and it makes it easier because it can be it, like that cognitive disconnect can be kind of distressing if you know that you're not uh, living the things that yeah. you're thinking about, then that can become quite uncomfortable. So, yep. As I mean, one of the things uh, where I w adjuncting for the past, you know, three or four years, uh, I was, you know, kind of living halfway between the two different schools I was teaching at, but they were each about 40 to 45 minutes drive away. Uh, and that was, awful just thinking about how many hours a day i'm spending in my car driving to and from and i live now two miles from this campus and so i can walk or ride my bike and um i i drive my car maybe once every two weeks now if that like it's it's just it's been wonderful um and so you know having have it, you know i agree that's just those there's those moments where we feel awful because we want to be doing more, but the circumstances of academia sometimes just force us into predicaments where it, it makes it really, really challenging to hold true to those things. And, um, it's, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but so maybe now would actually kind of leading on from that, maybe now would be a good time to talk a little bit about, uh, online learning and conferences. Sure. Except I'm gonna. I, I do want. I wanted to ask you one thing about yours okay. that when I was, <laughs> um, I was wondering if you were familiar with uh, Jane Bennett. Um, she has a book called Vibrant Matter. Because um, actually, one of the things when you were talking that that is maybe some overlap between our our work is one of the things that first drew me to. Um, these this, these stories of, of Hurricane Katrina or even the poetries, there's there's a lot of great poetry out there where people are personifying the storm. They're making it this um, conscious thing that is moving through these spaces and, ma and making these choices when obviously, right, that the it's a storm. It, 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 it has no agency. Um, and so I just was curious if, if you kind of were familiar with her because she talks a little bit about how we can turn you know, the quote unquote agency of nature into this political thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of resonances with, with her work and mine, I guess. I mean, apart from, you know, she doesn't focus so much on literature. Right. Um, exactly. But she, 
But one of the main differences is that she um, explicitly shies away from the term animism um, because of it has these kind of uh, derogatory associations. Whereas for me, I really wanted to reclaim that term um, one to kind of redress the violence that initially um, kind of denigrated animism as a like primitive in square in scare quotes um, mm-hmm. way of thinking or being in the world. So to kind of uh, redress some of that cultural violence that that is wrapped up in the history of the world by saying actually to think animistically is a really powerful tool in in the context of climate change. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we, where we differ. But in terms of what she's actually doing in terms of recognizing forms of non-human agency, yeah, we're, we are very much aligned. So that's a nice conversation that you're having with your, you know, with our, with all these resources out there. And speaking of conversation, that was my amazing attempt at regaining the segue that you had done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, to root words. Are we going that? Yeah, let's do root words. Okay, so root words is going to be a segment that we'll return to uh, every episode. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how we came up with this and thinking behind it afterwards. But for for today, I just want to get straight into it um, and then we'll have the discussion afterwards. So I love digging up etymologies. I find that uncovering the roots of words can unearth surprising old meanings and can illuminate or transform how I understand the word in the present. Words are the descendants of thousands of years of linguistic evolution, and each word has a deep underground history and prehistory that is not necessarily apparent on the surface of our daily usage. And of course, when it comes to thinking about the environment and the non-human world, Language is hugely important. The words we use not only determine how we relate to non-human entities, but they also determine whether we relate to or notice them at all. And so paying a closer attention to the ways in which words produce and transform meanings is hugely important for thinking about the human relationship with the environment. And so in each episode, we'll delve into the etymology and meanings of a word that might cultivate or enrich our thinking for the day's conversation. And today we begin with the word conversation. And so Brandon turned the show's title, EcoCast, into an acronym, um, Environmental Conversations on Creative Art, Scholarship and Teaching, which I think is brilliant, by the way. Thank you. And that acronym got me thinking about the word conversation. So nowadays we take conversation to mean dialogue or communication or exchange of ideas, but that's not what the word originally meant. It comes from the Latin con meaning together and verse meaning to turn. And so originally to converse was to turn oneself about, to move to or fro, but it also meant to dwell, to abide or to live somewhere. And so this earlier type of conversing was not restricted to human beings. For example, um, the 17th century natural philosopher John Wilkins wrote of birds that do most converse upon the earth. 
and by converse he means live or dwell. It was only much later that the word came to have the modern sense of talking to or speaking with someone. And so the conversations of EcoCast, we hope, will bring together these two senses, not only dialogue and exchange of ideas, but also reflections on the, on the human and non-human ways of being and dwelling in the world, and reflections on the ways in which these two modes of conversing infect and affect each other. So words shape our ways of dwelling and our ways of dwelling shape our words. Um, and with that in mind, let's get into thinking a little bit more about conversation and root words um, and how the idea of this segment came about. I, yeah, so when I first suggested the segment to you, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be pretty honest. Uh, this, I, that probably frames it in a very negative way um it, you know when you, i was excited at the the idea of it um but i was wondering how is this going to fit into you know it seemed like hyper specific how is this going to fit into this larger kind of um conversations and and larger themes and then once um you know you we kind of through conversations developed that hey maybe this can it'll just focus on that thing and it can be this lead in to um, the conversation that we're going to be having on that day's episode. Um, I got really, really excited for it because I think that, um, again, it goes back to and ties into what we are trying to do with this podcast, which is to reach a, a wider audience and, and, and get more people into the conversation. And so, you know, if I'm looking for a podcast on one thing and, and they're talking about things that are way above my head or it doesn't really interest me, uh, I'm, I'm maybe going to skip that episode. But if there's a way for me to connect to that or find a way into that, that conversation, um, I'm more likely to, to kind of do that. And so um, I think that, that your, your root word segment is, is the perfect opportunity to give people a little bit of a foundation and a way to, to think about uh, the conversation that's about to unfold. And it also maybe might help people understand how we're going to be um, engaging with their work and the questions that we're going to be asking and stuff like that. Um, and so for me, it's just I, I, I love that it, it's this great opportunity for um, for doing that, for giving people some kind of, of quick knowledge um, beyond that and, and, and moving into it. Um, yeah. So that's that's mm -hmm. kind of my general thoughts on it. And, you know, I think it, actually the kind of. Uh your response is definitely not that rare in that when I start talking to people about etymology, that, you know, that you, their eyes might glaze over in the beginning. But <laughs> then I find that actually when I tell people, um, things about words that I, that I know the history of, people are always like, Oh, that is really interesting. And so people don't even necessarily realize how interesting it is. Um, and one of the ways that it's really interesting is that often the words have a kind of a root that, uh, has some kind of natural or environmental, um, tenor to it. You know, we talk about the roots of words. I mean, that's already an environmental word. Uh, a root is, <laughs> right. is, is a part of a plant. Um, and you know, and then the same with conversation today. Like I didn't realize until I start in, till I looked into that word, that it has this kind of old sense of, of dwelling, which is super important for 
you know, ASLI's work and, and what we do in the environmental humanities. Um, so, yeah, I think it kind of, it gives a really interesting way in and it, and it kind of links what we're concerned with. It links language and humanities thinking with um, environmental um, issues and, and the, the, the way that these two things are interrelated. It's not that the language that we use doesn't have any impact. So um, I guess I, wanted, I want to name a couple of... Um, influences on me that have kind of really uh increased my my love for and interest in etymology so robin wall Kimmerer in braiding sweet grass talks about the grammar of animacy and the ways in which language can like really change the way we perceive certain things in the natural world um and also robert mcfarlane in his book landmarks collects all these incredible words for naming different natural phenomena and you know really um without the specificity of these different words we don't really see what's there or notice the specificity of what's there um so it kind of really language is a way to open up our perception of the environment and and the way that we relate to it and i really hope that yeah, by bringing in a kind of um, a root word that relates to each episode and each thinker that we that we have on the show, that's going to kind of allow us, as you say, to open the conversation and and think about all these issues that I've just been talking about. Yeah, and that's I think that's what's what's changed in me too, because I'll admit that I'm I'm probably one of those people whose eyes glaze over when etymology is 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 mentioned and. Um, but as, as we've been having kind of conversations for, for, you know, discussing how we're going to approach the podcast and how things are going to work and stuff like that. Um, and even, I mean, when the kind of the initial conversation that we had, you, when you proposed this, um, this idea, uh, I think that's what struck me the most about these, these, these words is with so it, it surprised me how many words that are just common vernacular um if you go back they connect in some way to space or the environment that they have some kind of connection to that um that realm and so that i think is is what has been fascinating me the most about these is like wow that i you know I had no idea that these things also meant to do this. And so it just, it creates these layers and, and um, you know, like quadruple entendres of, of, you know, thinking about these things where there's, there's so many different ways to interpret them um, that it's, it's just, and again, it goes back to why I, what I love about, you know, eco-criticism and the environmental humanities is just, there's so, it's so versatile. And so thinking about, I'm using, you know, one person's work in one way and someone else is using that same work in a different way, but we're, we're, we're creating these, these really, really um, amazing things through that. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So shall we talk a little bit about what's going on in <laughs> the world right now? So we're recording in June, 2020. And yes. 2020 has been quite the year so far. Um, that's uh that's one way of saying that yes yeah <laughs> yeah so uh you know we we um i guess maybe a little peek behind the curtain is we didn't necessarily 
um, maybe originally plan on doing a pilot episode. I think it was, um, you know, partially in the, the wake of everything that's been going on recently, um, that we felt that it was really, really important for us to, to kind of take that step back and, um, both introduce ourselves, which we've been doing and, and kind of introducing the show, but also to have, um, that the, the really, really important conversations that need to be had, um, and, and to, you know, um, make sure that we ensure our commitment to the, to continuing those conversations and, and to, um, that, that it's not just, Oh, we're going to talk about it today so that we can kind of check that box and, and say that we've, we've talked about it, but to, again, in, ensure that, that this podcast does not exist, um, without that, that diversity of perspectives, diversity of vo- voices, diversity of approaches, um, in, in whatever form that takes. And, and so, um, it is an open space and it will continue continue to be an open space for people to um, to be able to share their ideas and to have uh, again conversations on on those ideas and and where they're coming from um, mm-hmm. yeah and you know I think as well that you're, you're talking about this open space like it really is um, accessible in a way that maybe um, you know conferences aren't you know the we know that uh, class and race and economic income are often intertwined and conferences are let's face it very expensive things to go to so you know anyone can be on the podcast all you need is an interconnect an internet connection and skype so you know this is an accessible space for us to talk and communicate with each other um and also in terms of content we really want to bring these issues to the forefront, which is entirely in line with Asley's mission. They've always been concerned with uh, diversity and inclusion and environmental justice. Like we know that everything that's going on in the environment is linked to social justice issues. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, it's not really kind of a disconnect between, okay, we, we care about the environment and we care about social justice. Like these two issues are totally intertwined and everything that we do in our work, you know, affects these issues, even if what we're doing is nothing or even or especially if what we're doing is nothing, i.e., you know, if you're silent on the social aspects right. of, of um, environmental problems, then you are complicit in it. You know, we need to yep. speak up and foreground these issues in our work. And that's our responsibility, you know, whether yeah. our, yeah, whatever our focus is within environmental or social justice work, we need to recognize how these things are intertwined. Yeah. And also, I think, too, for us, uh, for, for, for you and me. Um, to recognize that we have a very unique privilege um, with this podcast and and with that audience um, to to ensure that it does that and so to make sure that we um, never take that for granted and that we're we're continuing to work um, and to make sure that this podcast does um, represent all voices and that it, it is not just, um, right. Cause even though obviously, yes, we're, you know, go, going forward, the format of this podcast is largely going to be focused on the guests that we have sharing their work, uh, whether it's scholarship or teaching or, or, you know, creative, um, you know, we've got, uh, 
a poet lined up to come on and talk about her work. Um, and so, yeah, while that's certainly um, hyper-focused, but that the, the larger um, the larger picture of this is that we're not just having um, the same voices on every single episode and that we are um, actively working to, to make sure that this podcast continues to be um, – uh, a place that that everyone um is heard and and has that chance to share yeah yeah absolutely um and i guess as well that, so the other thing that i wanted to talk about i guess what we've just been talking about it really speaks to the george floyd protests and the kind of sure. highlighting of of the black lives matter movement that's been happening but also 2020 has of course brought us the coronavirus pandemic and um you know an almost worldwide lockdown where suddenly you included everyone's had to start teaching online to start meeting online um Mm -hmm. but you know and it brings its own challenges and it's never going to replace face-to-face conversation but I do think that there are some especially for people working in environmental humanities there are some benefits of this kind of online format um so we are hopefully releasing this around the same time as Asli's um online conference for this year which um is titled Humanities on the Brink um, and is happening on the 10th and 11th of July. Um, And so they're using this uh, nearly carbon neutral um, conference format, which personally, I've always felt really uncomfortable flying for conferences, you know, being in the environmental humanities and then going to a conference about the environment that I have to fly to just felt, you know, like this big cognitive disconnect. So I was really excited about the the prospect of it. Um, but then there's actually a whole load of, of other benefits. Um, I don't, did you read the, or did you look at Ken Hiltner's white paper on nearly carbon neutral, nearly carbon neutral conferences that was circulated by Asli or? I did not. Okay. So he, um, he outlines a little bit in that he is, I should say, professor in environmental humanities, um, at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, and he's published this white paper that kind of is a guide to the concept. Um, And obviously, you know, the big drawback is um, the loss of face-to-face contact. But then there are actually so many positives that come out of doing a conference online. Um, So firstly, environmentally, obviously. So um, he writes in the paper that air travel to conferences, talks and meetings can account for a third or more of the carbon footprint of a, typ- of a typical scholar or university. Some scholars routinely fly over 100,000 miles per year. Um, wow. So, yeah, so the environmental impact is hugely reduced when we do things online. It's not completely carbon neutral. Obviously, streaming video has its own right uh, yeah absolutely impact but you know in relatively it is a huge huge difference um 
Secondly, the accessibility thing. Again, you don't have to pay to travel. Um, but also in terms of, you know, when you're pre-recording videos, you can put captions on them so they're accessible for um, hard of hearing people. Um, and people can listen to them in any time zone. So they're, you know, you're not held to the kind of time slot of a panel at a conference, right. which means that, you know, anyone can listen to it anywhere. Um, and actually they've found in the past that there's, that has sparked more engagement. So with the kind of the comments and the questions afterwards, because people have a few days to do it and think about it, there tends to be more questions and answers than there would be in the, in the regular panel in, in a live conference. Um, which, you know, is really cool. Um, and then the final thing that I really like about the idea of, of, uh, online conferences is that there's like this room for creativity. If you're, if you're making an online, uh, if you're making a pre-recorded video, you're not restricted to a PowerPoint in, you know, uh, some small right. little seminar room in a university. Like you can, do something cool with your video you can you know show people your local area or you know kind of make it a bit more um exciting and, and really make the most of the format so yeah personally i'm quite excited about the idea of online conferences um yeah yeah you... yeah and i th i i agree i so i think um it is i i think the benefits um are great I, th I think that especially so you know asley I, th I think you know it is worth mentioning um you know that's part of why they do every other year conferences is to limit you know the amount of travel that people are doing um that they always the places that are are holding um the conferences have to be uh you know meet certain standards in turn in terms of their their carbon output and and those kinds of things um but those still Right. That's that's not necessarily factoring in if it's every other year. Are you going to get more people? I think last last year it was a record number of of attendees for Asley for the conference. Um, and so that certainly, you know, does that offset. Um, I think that. Doing the 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 uh, near the carbon neutral, the virtual conference, um, is great for off year to it. Cause it, it also, it connects to why I, th I think that, that our podcast is important is that it's keeping people, um, connected and, um, informed as to what are, what people are doing, um, on a more regular basis rather than having to wait, you know, two years to, to see people and see what the, what work they're working on at that point and, and, th and those kinds of things. Um, and so I think that, that a, a more, you know, that, that every other year thing, um, it's, I, I would say the only thing that, that really, I think gets missed on it. And it's part of what I've loved best about Asley, um, is the community, um, that, that, I've never had more fun at a conference than I've, I've had at, at the past two Asley conferences I've gone to. Um, cause the people are wonderful. Um, the conversations are great. Um, and so the, you're, you are losing some of that social aspect of it, but again, that's, that's maybe right. At what cost are we losing that thing? And so it's it certainly, um, 
again, going back to, to how can we be creative about those things? Why can't we have, you know, virtual hangouts during the conference where maybe there are regular meetings, you know, at a certain time that if you can log into it and, you know, join the chat room or if it's a, if depending on how many people it's a zoom conversation or, or, or dialogue, um, where you still can, you know, have these moments where you're, you're conversing with people in real time and still getting some of that social stuff. Um, and I think, I think again, going back to what maybe started our, our conversation on this, that just thinking about the, the health benefits of right, that, that it's a way for us to do this, that keeps people safe, um, in a moment where um, being in close contact with each other is 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 tricky, um, and that's part of you know I'm I'm sure that the 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 longing for social engagement that I'm feeling right now and and that that kind of nostalgia for being at Asley and being with that you know being around everybody and hanging out and and that kind of stuff is is certainly part of just like I've been stuck in my house for <laughs> the past three months um mm-hmm. but um yeah so i th- I think that they are um you know a nearly carbon neutral conference is is a wonderful wonderful idea um to the point that I, I I still think, you know, we need to have a regular meeting um, conference, but who's to say that that couldn't happen every three years now or, or, you know, less frequently than every other year um, to continue to, you know, improve that, that, that carbon footprint that they're already, you know, making strides to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's also maybe potential for, conferences for face-to-face conferences to be kind of a little bit more local and then for the for the nearly carbon neutral conferences the online conferences to be truly global and then then you kind of you you can socialize with those people that are geographically close to you anyway sure um you know it's it's a challenging time for the humanities and for (laughs) academia in general and i think we're all you know in the coming years things are going to be done differently so we'll have to see how things pan out Um, yeah but yeah okay so i am mindful of the time we've definitely talked for much longer than we were planning to today which (laughs) you know is great but i think i think we should start wrapping up so let's move on to our final uh segment of the show which if you want to go ahead and tell people a little bit about that one thing that i i've been kind of highly aware of um and maybe many of you out there are too is is just the the weight that maybe a lot of our work carries with it sometimes um part of of this is my personal experience obviously but but what took me so long to finish my dissertation was every time i sat down to research or write or work on it um i'm just reading about tragedy after tragedy after tragedy and, and it could feel very very disheartening to the point where I had to step away for, you know, a week or a month or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so, um, and, and that's important, right? It's, it's, I think we need to confront those things and we need to be willing to engage with those things. And that's certainly, um, you know, a lot of what we're doing that, that it's, it's important work that we're discussing. Um, but I also want this to be uplifting and positive and, and, um, 
and and to note that we can still have those moments of of levity and enjoyment even as we're talking and discussing very very kind of weighty issues. Um, and so another regular segment that we'll be doing on here uh, is at the end of each particular um, guest segment where we where we kind of finishing interviewing them about their work. Uh, we're going to ask them some some kind of more fun or personal questions um, at random. So we have a list of twelve questions, and I'm just going to roll a twelve sided die that. Uh, will um, happen to whatever it lands on. That's what what they will pick. Uh, and so those range from things like what's your favorite outdoor space to what brought you into EcoCrit or the environmental humanities. Um, what's uh, if you could only recommend one thing to someone starting out in environmental humanities? What would that be? So just a chance to share or or kind of uplift each other and and get to know each other and. Um, you know, I don't want to say I said humanize is, you know, it's maybe a weird word to use, but to, to, you know, we aren't just our work that we are people um, who exist outside of that. And so I think to get to know each other on that level as well is really, really important. Um, oh. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to I forgot to bring an actual die with me. I was hoping to have the maybe I'll, I'll find that sound effect and edit it in here. Um, <laughs> but I'm just going to use a digital dice roller. Um, and I'm going to roll a 12 sided die and whatever comes up, that's the question that we are going to answer. So the number is 10, 10 is, Ooh, all right. So what's one habit you're working on to try and be more eco-friendly. So do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I can go first. Um, well, I guess it's kind of, um, enforced at the moment, but in this, in this hot and sticky Boston summer, because we're not allowed into the Harvard buildings and I'm locked out of my office, I am not using any air conditioning, um, which is tough and sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I'm getting through it. <laughs> uh, what about you? Um, so I think, well, one, I, I talked about it a little bit ago, but just the, the fact that I've been able to bike everywhere. Um, like even just a grocery store run, uh, I'll just throw, you know, I've got a, a rack on the back of my bike. And, and so it's just really, really nice. And so I've been, uh, even there's been some moments where it's like, uh, I could probably drive today, but no, I'll just, I'll, I'll take care of those things later and I'll, I'll ride my bike. Um, but the other thing, um, cause this is something that's, that's really just kind of come to my attention, um, over the past maybe year, year and a half is, um, I, we've, we've always recycled, um, pretty regularly, but being more mindful of, um, what it is that we're recycling and, and ensuring that the ways that we're sorting it and, and using it are making, are getting to the places where they need to be to actually get recycled. Um, cause so much of recycling, um, I feel like for a lot of people, it can be a very, very easy, like, Oh yeah, I recycle. And they just kind of throw everything in a bin, but they might, might not realize that that one thing they're throwing in is contaminating the rest of their, um, what they have in there or um, it's, it's, you know, it's getting thrown in because it's a number one plastic, but maybe it's not a number one type that's accepted by your, um, 
you know, local, local, um, recycling center. Uh, and so just, just trying to do more research into that and, and making sure, um, and then that flips onto the other end. And so when we start to recognize, okay, well, um, our recycling center doesn't take this particular plastic. So we don't get, try to not buy that particular type of plastic anymore. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, if we have to get it, get it, you know, once very, very rarely, um, and, and yeah, so I think that that's, that's something where it takes a lot more effort because it's not just throwing it into a bin, um, you know, where we used to live, they would accept things if you didn't rinse them out, but here you have to rinse stuff out. And so that, that extra step, um, that's involved, um, and so it, it's just something that I've been doing where it could be very, very easy to just say, well, I'll just keep doing it how I did it and not really care anymore, but to, to be willing to put in that extra work to, to make it. Um, so that it's, it's more likely to be recycled. Cause I know that it's, it's so hard to track down the pipeline, whether it actually gets recycled or not. Um, but you can at least increase the likelihood that it does happen. Yeah. And you know, that kind of also, I think a thing that people often forget is that recycle is the, the third and last of the three R's, the first of two, the first right, two right. are reduce and reuse. So can you yep. buy stuff that doesn't have packaging? Can you reuse the packaging? And recycling is kind of the last resort. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, I really try and, you know, get my fruit and veg not in plastic. Like I get a, a farm share box thing, which is great to just kind of, yeah. Know, yeah. And like the, uh, buying it seasonal right now, there's a farmer's market. And that's the tricky thing for us is, is we're, we are much more isolated than we ever were that we're a, fi- you know, 50 minute drive to the nearest, like larger town that has better options for that kind of stuff. Um, but then you're talking about driving, you know, an hour just to, and so at, where does it offset and, and how does that balance work? And, um, it's, it's definitely been an adjustment for us out here, but we're making, we're making it work. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's wrap up. So, yeah. um, we want proposals from you. If you are listening to this and you have an idea for an episode, either something that you're working on, or even just a suggestion for an episode, if there's someone that yep. you want us to have on, let us know. Um, you can email us um, at asley.ecocast at gmail.com or we're on Twitter at, um, at asley underscore ecocast. Um, and you can send us proposals for episodes, but you can also give us feedback. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Yeah. Tell us what you yeah. want to hear. Yeah, if, if you've got an idea for a segment or you you want... Um, you know, there's a particular word that, that you've loved the etymology on. You want Gemma to do that. If you have, um, fun questions that we don't have on our list, um, that you would like for people to know, or, you know, you would want to know about people. Um, yeah, any, any of that kind of stuff. We, we want this again, to be the best podcast that it can be. And that requires, um, you know, taking that feedback and, and being able to, to work with that. So, um, yeah, so so reach out to us on there. Um, I'll also, uh, if you'd like to buy, I'm at on Twitter. Um, I'm at B Galm. It's at B E G A L M, all one word. Um, Gemma, I don't so know like, if you want. like like be calm, but be Galm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
And I'm at GeoWrites, so at G-E-O-W-R-I-T-S, GeoWrites. Um, so yeah, I-T-S or I-T-E-S? Did I say it wrong? <laughs> um, <laughs> damn. So <laughs> writes like writing. So G-E-O-W-R-I-T-E-S. Yes, maybe maybe I just heard them put together, but anyways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I'm just you know I've just got a PhD and can't quite spell the word rights. There yeah. we go. <laughs> well, we don't have to because our, our computers let us know anymore, so we don't have to worry about <laughs> knowing them. Um, awesome. Well, this has been great. I've I've really enjoyed. Um, well, I mean, one, this, we've got a chance to get to know each other a little bit more, and and I'm looking forward to you know getting to know each other even more as this unfolds. Um, getting to know our, our guests and, 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 you know, just being able to, again, share for me, that's, that's the, the big piece for me is all about sharing and, and um, collaborating and, and just being a community. Absolutely. Yeah. This yeah. is a really exciting project. Um, and I'm very happy to be a part of it. So okay. yeah. thank you everyone for, to listen there. Thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. This has been Asley's EcoCast. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.